0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, and how is it? You do not discern this time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: And again, let's pray. Pray, pray, and pray without ceasing. Father in heaven, we appeal to you that uh, you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us to teach us, to encourage us, to bless us. Most of all, Lord, to challenge us so that uh, we can be transformed and we can live lives that are pleasing to you and bring blessing to others. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to um, talk about uh, the gospel passage for today. And this particular passage is, um, you might say it's troubling, uh, it's uh, difficult uh, theologically, it's difficult uh, pastorally, And certainly the opening verse, I have come to bring fire on the earth, is not the kind of thing you'd like to put on a Christmas card. (coughs) Can you just see it now? Instead of singing songs about peace on earth, we sing songs about division and fire, judgment. The um, passage in question, especially the saying about fire, is certainly a... um, it's something of an ambiguous uh, statement, uh, and I'd like to just pick through the, the passage and uh, really ask two questions from this passage. And it's the same two questions we can ask from any passage in the Gospel. And the question number one, what does this tell us about Jesus? And question number two, what does this tell us about being a disciple? Okay. What does this tell us about Jesus, and what does this tell us about being his disciples or or his um, his followers? so um, maybe the first thing to 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 just mention is that here jesus says jesus in, in our uh, reading today says. I'm coming to bring fire and my activities, my uh, message actually won't always result in peace. It will sometimes result in conflict. It will sometimes, uh, people will reject me. Families will be divided. Well, Maybe here's the first thing all of us should be reminded of or something, the first thing that we can all learn is that we need to be very careful about making a theology and having that theology, um, or this, especially this view of Jesus, we need to be very careful about ensuring that our view of Jesus isn't a reflection of who we are because we oftentimes make Jesus in our own image as we make God in our own image with all our fears and all our concerns, with all our strengths and weaknesses, we either project them upon God or we somehow fashion an image of God uh, in our likeness. Uh, Contrary to, to the biblical statement where God creates us in his image, we oftentimes create God and Jesus. And of course, isn't it odd? Isn't it telling, rather? that in every generation, you know, Jesus kind of looks like the spirit of the age, yes? Uh, and so it's very easy to miss. It's very easy uh, to distort. And one of, the reason, one of the ways we avoid heresy or one of the ways that we avoid this um, kind of uh, theological monism, you know, Uh, where we have one theory uh, or one uh, understanding, is to live in the paradox and to live in the tension. And if we cannot live in paradox and we cannot live in tension, uh, eventually we will end up spiritually, theologically, maybe even uh, in other ways, socially, culturally, we'll end up in trouble. And the tension here is, yes, yes, Jesus comes and he does bring peace. And Jesus comes and he enables uh, those who follow him or love him to be reconciled with one another. Uh, And Jesus brings healing. Uh, Jesus uh, brings deliverance from the powers of evil, uh, from the devil himself, uh, from the demonic from the oppression of the world system. And yes, Jesus brings justice and he comes into any situation. And at the same time, yes, that message of Jesus can cause division. That message of Jesus can cause people to be rejected. It can cause persecution. By the way, we who are believers should never be the ones causing the persecution. Uh, We should never be the ones, uh, uh, in a way, generating or creating the conflict, and we'll come back to that in a minute. This is not a justification for war. This is not a justification of being hostile, not a justification of condemning people who are not like us. But the very simple fact of it, of all of this, is that, yes, Jesus does all this wonderful stuff, and yes, he brings peace, and yet, at the same time, his message will bring division. People will reject the message. Those who carry the message, those who preach or talk about the kingdom of God will be rejected and condemned and always misunderstood. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. You It should be really understood from the beginning. You will be misunderstood. You will be misunderstood. And that, of course, uh, Sometimes is a cause of a great consternation to those of us who um, who are indeed followers of Jesus, Robert Lindsay, who used to be the pastor of the Baptist Church, together with David Flusser, they were great Hebrew scholars, one was a Baptist missionary, and David Flusser was a Jewish orthodox professor uh, at the Hebrew University. They both understood this verse uh, and the the nuances in the Greek and the parallelism. Of, they uh, understood the opening verse of our of our lesson to be something like this: "I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I'm I regret," Jesus says, "would say that it's already kindled." Meaning as he judgment is coming, but it's not something Jesus rejoices in. Nevertheless, whatever their understanding or their interpretation of Luke 12, uh, 49 happens to be, the question is, if we want to understand the passage, what is the judgment? Whether Jesus is doing it willingly, or I agree with Lindsay and Flusser that This is something reluctantly which Jesus does because he does not come to condemn, he does not come to destroy the lives of people, he comes to save. So So what do we talk about in this passage? And the passage could easily refer to the great eschatological judgment, this judgment at the end of days, at the end of time that John talks about. Or it could talk about could be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will come with fire. But I think we have to, uh, we really do have to think about the imagery of fire. And how is fire used in the scripture? Of course, Jesus is saturated in the Hebrew Bible. He knows this Bible, he loves this Bible, he can quote it frontwards, backwards. (coughs) It's the the Bible that has uh, formed him uh, spiritually, it's the Bible that he uses to, to preach from. And of course, every time we, we, we read words of Jesus, we should always ask the question, should we not, where in the Hebrew Bible, okay, what passage would Jesus might Jesus, being ref, might Jesus be referring to? What passage might he be hinting at? What passage might he be quoting directly? And if we think for a few minutes, not, we don't have to think very long, what is fire? Fire is a metaphor, it's an image for God Himself, is it not? That the, the, the way to describe who God is is to describe Him as a consuming fire, to describe Him as somebody who is inc- powerful. Is it not true that fire might be the most destructive force? In this world, I mean, maybe after atomic weapons, I don't know, or nuclear weapons, that fire um, provides, does it not, um, it is not only very destructive, but of course it provides, uh, uh, it represents uh, an energy. Uh, It represents a force in the world. And of course, we're afraid of fire, but then again, we're sometimes fascinated by fire. And so when we think about God and think about his holiness, on one hand, we can be afraid, on the, uh, we are afraid, and on the other hand, we're kind of attractive. Uh, and you can see this, how we're even just being, as humans, we're fascinated with fire itself. And that fire, while it's very powerful, and very, very, you might say, uh, other, and it can be very destructive. At the same time, it's necessary for life. Is it not? You cannot live, we cannot live, we cannot have a civilization without fire. And so the fire, while it's dangerous, it's also very good. And in a way, this not uh, summarize God himself, who God is, and it was put very nicely and the, one of the C.S. Lewis books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when I think the little girl, Lucy, asks about Aslan. I forget the exact details. And what was the answer? He is good, but he is dangerous. He is good, <clears throat> but he is dangerous. He's not to be trifled with. He's not to be, we're not to try to manipulate him. We're not to try to control him as we so often want to do as humans, yes, or put him in the box and, uh, you know, have it all tidy so in a way that, again, we've put, created God in our image. Speaking of C.S. Lewis, you know, C.S. Lewis talked about the fire of God and God being this consuming fire. And he said, God's fire is even hotter than any fire of hell. Because this is who God is. This is who God is. And this is what it means to be holy. To be holy, holiness is danger, especially to those of us who approach it in the wrong way. God's holiness is danger. And at the same time, God's holiness is goodness. Can you live in that tension? If you can't, then we're going to miss something can you live in the tension that god is that jesus comes and brings peace and healing and reconciliation and yet his his mission his words his message will bring rejection and suffering and persecution you don't have to be a big theologian with lots of degrees to understand this in fact people get more complicated and more complicated when they can't understand tension or paradox we have to live in this tension and maybe what Jesus is saying here, if he's not talking about the baptism of the Spirit, which I don't think he is, and he's not talking about the judgment that happens at the end of time, maybe what Jesus is saying here is that I come to bring fire. Fire purifies, does it not? Fire perf- perf- refines, it perfects. And what does Jesus want from us? He wants us to be transformed. And he wants us to be changed. And what, of course, gets in the way is nothing but our sin. Yes, nothing but our sin. Our sin is what um, keeps us, really, from entering in uh, to a very, uh, you might say, full and uh, complete complete relationship with God. And Jesus wants to transform us or to refine us, whatever language you may want to use to bring us to maturity, to bring us to completion, okay, to, to bring us to a wholeness. And we need to cooperate. Now, it's true that God himself does this work in us. And oftentimes it is certainly by the work of the Spirit but we also need to live in the tension. And the tension that we need to live in, okay, is that on one hand, God does a work, but the the other side side of the paradox is that we have to make an effort. We have to pick up our cross and follow him, okay? We have to uh, uh, obey him uh, and obey his teachings and uh, bring, uh, obey, Uh, his commandments so that we can come into a place of closer and closer relationship so that we can come into this place of holiness. Really the best description is in Psalm 51, okay? Is in Psalm 51 and how David pleads before the Lord. And this should be our daily pleading as well. Because here's the danger. The danger is if we don't let the Lord refine us and purify us now, we will have to stand before him and give an account. Now, some of us don't take sin very seriously, especially the small sin. And of course, for Jesus, the small sin is just as dangerous and just uh, as important to get rid of as the big sin such as what we talked about last week, the sin of anxiety, or the sin of pride, or the sin of being self-righteous. And we think because we're not out raping people, or we're not out uh, robbing banks, or we're not overtly racist, that somehow we're fine. We're not. We're not. We need All of us need to be refined. We need to cooperate with the fire. Otherwise, if we don't cooperate with it now, the consequences will, uh, will be waiting for us okay, on Judgment Day. And this isn't a, a, you know, a fire and brimstone sermon, but surely it is the teaching of the New Testament and the teaching of the church from day one until now that all of us will stand before a God who is a consuming fire and have to give an account of those things that we did or those things that we failed to do. So we need to actively make that effort. And of course, at the same time, trust uh, that God will do his work in us as well. So what, what words from Psalm 51 uh, should encourage us? Well, first David calls for mercy, but then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Not just asking for forgiveness, but asking for cleanness, uh, asking for uh, cleanness, asking to be uh, cleansed from, uh, from those sins. And of course, he, he says, <clears throat> purge me with hyssop and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast your way. Do not cast uh, me away uh, from the, your presence and take your holy your Holy Spirit uh, from me. So these are, um, all of these are things that we can pray every day. Yet at the same time, as the psalmist says here, they have to be prayed with honesty. We have to be able to embrace, okay, that maybe God is, will test us. Maybe God will discipline us. You may remember Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, my son, do not despise God's discipline. Do not despise God's discipline. Now, sometimes we think God is punishing me. I I don't know about that. I don't know. We don't, I don't think any of us know about this. I don't think we'd understand uh, God's punishment. And maybe we should take that in part off the table. God allows us to reap what we sow at times. But oftentimes in the life of the believer, God will discipline us. He will uh, to put us back on the right path. He will test us so that, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we know what's in our heart and we don't deceive ourselves and we can be honest with ourselves because the reason that so many of us, yes, will turn away and and not allow God to work in our lives is because we live in self-deception. We're fine. There's nothing wrong with us. They're just little sins. And after all, I'm too busy for this. And that's the shame of our uh, very busy society is that uh, we've got too much going on to be disciples. Um, Now let's go on a little bit. He said, um, I come to bring division. From now on, there will be five in a family, uh, and one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother-in-law, um, etc., cetera. Et cetera. Jesus seems to cover <clears throat> all the <clears throat> all the relationships here. Of course, you know that um, there is uh, an understanding for this uh, in the the Hebrew Bible, um, and it was understood that uh, by Jews in the time of Jesus that with the coming of the Messiah, that there would be great. Um, division amongst people. And uh, Jesus seems to certainly understand this. He might be referring to, um, or and his words might be bouncing his understanding off of Micah 7, 6, where it says, for a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are members uh, of his own household. Also in Deuteronomy 13, where it says, you know, if someone else, someone in your family worships a false god, you need to expose them. You need to um, uh, stop them uh, from worshiping a god other than, uh, than the God of Israel. What do we learn from this? We learn, okay, that loyalty to Jesus and this might be difficult for some of us, is more important than loyalty to our family. That as much as family is important, as much as we want to support family life and so called family values, okay, at the same time, okay, that loyalty to Jesus and his message is more important than any loyalty that we may have to uh, our family. Now this creates, a certain, this creates certain tensions within us, because after all, who wants to be different? Who wants to go against the grain? Who wants to be the outcast in the family? Who wants to be marginalized even by society? There's this innate innate human drive that says, "I need to fit in. I need to fit in. I need to go along with everybody else. I don't want to stick my head up above the, uh, you know, stick my head up and you know have it uh, lopped off or chopped off uh, by being different." And so, whether it's whether it's in our culture, yes, or whether it's in our family. Our tendency and our weakness is always fit in, don't make waves, don't make trouble. My dear friends, this is dangerous because there are times when we have to say no to our culture and we have to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fit in because my identity doesn't come first and foremost from being uh, you know, a white American male of the baby boomer generation. Uh, by the way, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Woodstock this weekend. This, is, this message is not a message for Woodstock, I'm telling you, for the Woodstock generation. Peace, love, good music. I don't know. I don't know about the peace and the love, but some of the music was pretty decent. Uh. <laughs> um, that's not my identity, And I'm not going to get my security, okay, from the culture. Or I'm not going to get my security from my family if my family decides to to disagree with me. So following Jesus will create waves. It's going to kick up dust. It might cause opposition. It might cause persecution. And following the Lord, you know, might cost you financially. You know, a person who um, went against their their father's advice, uh, left the denomination, joined another denomination, because that's the way the Lord was leading that person. And, uh, you know, when the father died, he... Missed out on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of inheritance. And we know this is just in a Western context. We talk about suffering, but certainly even in uh, the context of uh, places like Kenya, where following Jesus in northern or eastern Kenya will cost you your life. This is a Muslim culture, and and, uh, the family as a way of putting an end to the shame of one leaving Islam, will try to murder you. And sometimes they they are certainly successful. But here's a warning in all of this. If we're going to be rejected, if we're going to be opposed, let it be for the message of Jesus. Not because we're self-righteous, or we're cranky, or we're hard to get along with, or we have a lot of pride, or we might be stingy, whatever it may be. A lot of times we hide behind theology. We take our broken places and say, no, no, this is theology and they, they don't like me because of Jesus. Or very often people may not like us or they may oppose us or they may persecute us because of weaknesses of who we are in our personality. So we need to make sure that it's not an excuse. So, so there will be opposition. And again, our first and foremost loyalty okay, is to the person of Jesus himself. It's not to the church. It's not to the evangelical subculture. It's not to the purity message. Or it's not to the... Uh, you know, to the worship group or to whatever, it's to Jesus. It's to Jesus. As we read in Hebrews, we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus and keep our eyes there. People will certainly disappoint us and other believers will disappoint us. The church will disappoint us. Okay. But the Lord will not disappoint us. Okay. And we need to, we need to remember that. Is Jesus nice? Probably not. Is he good? Is he compassionate? Is he merciful? And the answer is definitely yes. Okay, let's finish here. Um, <clears throat> you know, finally, Jesus, he, he's critical of the crowds because these people don't see the signs They don't understand the times in which they live, yes, and uh, that could apply equally to us. Many of us are oblivious to what's going on around us, and many of us are somewhat complacent even as believers, oh, things have gone on the way they've gone on for thousands of years. What is? Why should I listen to the words of Jesus? Because in this passage, however you interpret it, Jesus is saying, you know what? You urgently need to make a decision. You need to be immediate about this. It's not something you put off and wait for a long time. Make a decision. Recognize the time in which we live. And the time in which we live May be the end of days, and it may not. But people, but God's creation, God's people are being destroyed, okay, by sin and corruption and idolatry. And that those things are not are bringing a curse upon people. They're bringing destruction into their lives. Yes, they're bringing harm into the lives of others. Because we don't sin ever, ever sin in isolation. What our sin affects, some, surely always affects somebody else. And Jesus urgently says, "Hey, now is the time." What does He want us to do? What He wants us to do is found in chapter thirteen of this, uh, and it very simply says, you know, in chapter 13, because it's a continuation on, it's a continuation of the teaching, he said, repent, repent, turn around, change your mind, go in a different direction. And not something that we do once, but something that we, we adopt as a lifestyle. Repentance is something daily, and change is something daily. But of course, we have to be honest with ourselves. Do we not? In order to, uh, to hear the words of Jesus, uh, you know, and to turn around. We need to recognize the time in which we live. The days are evil. There are good things happening sometimes in some places, but people, our lives, yes, without being a follower of Jesus, Our lives are being destroyed and we're victims of the devil and victims of our, our, we make our bed. Sometimes it's subtle, you say I'm a good person, I don't do this, I don't do that. But even those hidden sins, the sin of being self-righteous or the sin of greed, greed have destructive consequences. Who wants to perpetrate the sickness that goes from generation to generation to generation, the brokenness that goes from generation to generation? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Who wants to stand before the Lord saying, I'm a sinner but you saved me by grace and have to give an account for why we were self-righteous or why we were anxious or why we couldn't trust in him or why we had to medicate ourselves with sex or alcohol because we couldn't allow we we didn't take the time or didn't take the opportunity to allow him to heal us He wants to die in that condition and believe it believe me all of us will soon be standing before the Lord to give an account and hopefully we will not be ashamed and shrink back and that's the that's the urgency of today's message. Is allow God's fire to refine us, to perfect us, to bring us into maturity. Yes, to bring us into completeness, to bring us into wholeness in the way that we relate to Him and the way that we relate to others. Again, it takes an, it's this evangelical, God's going to do everything. It's not in the scripture. God works with us and in partnership with us. We make an effort, and as we make that effort, God comes and uh, gives us the grace. But first, we have to have that desire. And that's why I'd like to pray. So, Father in heaven, we ask that you would indeed give us desire, that you'd all give us uh, a yearning, that you'd all give us a sense of urgency not to stay in our sin, not to wallow in our brokenness, not to make excuses over and over again for our weaknesses. Lord, we pray that you'll come by your Holy Spirit, that you'll search us, you'll indeed cleanse us, renew us, remake us, and Lord, transform us into your image so that we can glorify you Yes? And Lord, uh, bring blessing to ourselves and others. Lord, may we know you as a God of fire, a God who is powerful, holy, who hates sin, and yet is compassionate to us sinners, merciful to his creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.